really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, results, great interviews, and just so much more all about the world of rugby union. As always, I am David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, by all means, please do. I always love hearing from you. I can be found on Twitter. I'm at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just shoot me an email via the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So get in touch whenever and however you like. And with that admin stuff out of the way, let's get on with the show. So current updates. Well, this week here in Massachusetts, it was, it was a week off for my whole family. The schools here in Massachusetts, they take their traditional February break. Uh, we're starting on President's Day. So right on cue, we had a 61 degree day when uh, everything outside just completely melted, followed almost immediately by yet another massive blizzard, shutting down everything outside my doors for all of Friday and well into Saturday. I am thoroughly sick of the snow at this point, and fall spring number three can, along with flow rugby, get stuffed. Anyway, the good news was, as we were all off, we decided to take a little family trip down to Quincy to see if we could catch up with any free jacks, and it totally worked. We found the facility, managed to convince someone to let us in. It was actually Slade McDowell, by the way. And we got to say hi to the boys as they were getting ready for their afternoon training session. Personally, I was ecstatic to be able to shake the hand of Mr. Bowden Waka, though I realized only after the fact how dumb I am. I was simply too dumb to even take out my phone and snap a pic. I met all these amazing guys, including Joe Johnston, who I highlighted last week, and the incredibly charming Sean Yakubian. And if either of you guys are listening, by the way, please get in touch. I'd love to have you on the show. Either way... Not a single shot. No photographic evidence that I was there. I did, however, get to go over to the stadium with them. They, they were lucky enough to have two warm days in February in a row, and they took advantage of that by going to Veterans Memorial Stadium to do their training. So I got to go watch that. I, I just love watching that stuff. So we've got like three lineouts working at the same time, split into two parts of the field. Like the, You know the whole deal, but it, it was just awesome. Got a couple picks from that, but obviously not too close up. All in all, it was still an amazing day, so I'm grateful to all the guys who welcomed us entirely unannounced right as they were looking to eat lunch. It was just an awesome experience and continued to show me what a great organization we have here. Big plus also, my five-year-old was with us, and there's just something so special about having enormous athletes sort of leaning way down and doing the whole, you got a high five for me, brother, kind of thing. It was magic. Thanks to the entire squad and the organization just for being so kind and welcoming. It was great. He's taking! He's taking! People have to know! You know, I'm not sure if this qualifies as good or bad news. It's more of just a sort of a general update. So what I wanted to do was do a quick check-in with regard to 2023 Rugby World Cup. So obviously there hasn't been a ton of news lately, but I was looking down the whole list and everything. What I'm curious most about is the qualification process and just what is yet to be determined because it's coming up faster than we think. So Samoa, they have actually confirmed their status as the qualifiers from Oceania 1. Tonga have qualified for the Asia-Pacific playoff, which means they'll face the winners of what they've listed as the Asia Rugby Championship 2021, but it's unclear to me who or what that should or will be. Uh, my plan would be to root for Hong Kong just for Ollie, but we'll see. So whoever does win that will have to take on Tonga in that weirdest of all formats, the two-match series, home and away. Again, I don't see dates or details yet. But the winner of that series, however, will be qualified for the Rugby 2023 World Cup as the Asia-Pacific number one champs. 
Again, no de uh, dates or details, but I can at least say in theory that there is a Rugby Africa Cup 2021 tournament. Again, World Rugby hasn't provided any updates. I'm guessing we'd see, what, Zimbabwe in that one, maybe coming out on top? Um, as I've reported here previously, my USA Eagles have also have a weird two-game series, in our case with Uruguay. Those fixtures are settled uh, for the first two Saturdays in October. The winner will qualify as the America's one representative and I also see that we are technically qualified for the Americas 2 playoff. So should we fall short of Los Terros? Uh, I had thought that meant we were going to have another clash with Canada, but I think they are officially out for the first time in Canadian history. So I see that Chile has qualified for the Americas 2 playoff series, which, and please get in touch if I have this wrong. I think what that effectively means is if the U.S. loses to Uruguay, Chile would then have to play us to get in. But if we win, they will qualify automatically. So. There are three slots left after that, two for Europe and one for the randos. <laughs> no offense to the randos. You guys are some of the, the best you know, participants out there. So the winner and the runner-up from the Rugby Championship Europe 2021 and 2022, again, confusing with the dates, or they with COVID at this point, um, they will both qualify for Europe 1 and Europe 2, respectively. By the way, I just noticed the dates aren't listed on the, rugby, uh, the World Rugby website, but apparently that, that, that tournament is happening right now. So I guess even I have to admit that Flow Rugby has some good content right now. They've got Super Rugby Pacific, obviously. They've also got the Curry Cup. They have the Under-26 Nations competition. They have Women's Internationals. They have a little sprinkling of college rugby thrown in there. And apparently, the Rugby European Championship. Uh, so Romania, and, uh, Romania played Spain. That was going to be on the Saturday, I think. I haven't even checked back on that yet. And I see that Portugal is in contention as well. Note to self, definitely look into this. So, after those two, that leaves the final, the loneliest spot, the space saved for Dreamers and the farthest flung fans. As of this writing, the identities of these potential teams is shrouded in mystery, but I can tell you this much, it will be a sort of a mini pool of four teams, they'll do a round-robin tourney in November, and only the winner will be allowed into the greatest rugby competitions, in this case, Rugby World Cup 2023, hosted by a high-flying France, who I've been saying for some time now are in definite pole position for this one. Woo, I just got myself really psyched up for this. It's too bad we have to wait like a year and a half. So on to thoughts of the week. And, you know, I, I, I took some time. I went hunting for other stuff to talk about so as not to repeat myself. But you know what? It's just a fact that my thoughts again this week are with Tonga. Super Rugby is doing their tries for Tonga fundraising where they donate X amount of money to the relief efforts for every try scored. But let's face it, we'll never know how many or how much that will represent. And the fact is, they don't need a catchily titled charity drive. They need actual money, food, and supplies right now, not sometime in the future. I've again linked the organizations heading up the efforts to ease the suffering of the Pacific Islands. If you find yourself in a position to do anything, I mean anything at all, please do so as soon as possible. Things are very, very tough for them right now. I know the world is in a screwed up place. My own world certainly is. But this is something else entirely. And if you can find some way to dig deep and help out, well, that would be amazing. Okay, that brings us to our reviews. And I'm going to tell you, quite frankly, this weekend in rugby for me personally sucked. It really did. You know, Scotland got walloped, as I'm unfortunately going to have to talk about. Uh, Free Jacks lost for the first time this year. Uh, England won. Like, just terrible outcome after terrible outcome. But I guess I have to dive right into it anyway. So, the Six Nations tournament was back in full flight this weekend. I woke up in sort of borderline panic mode in anticipation of Scotland hosting France, and with good reason it turned out. It turned into a terrible day for Scotland fans, as, France's, let's, uh, as France, let's face it, completely kicked our asses. There were, you know, 
small handful of highlights for Scottish players. Rory Darge was absolutely everywhere with his incredible on attack and defense. Just an inspired performance by him. I thought Finn looked good, but maybe not great. Chris Harris was a demon on defense, but by and large, everything good on the day was French. Just complete dominance in every phase of the game. Entomac hasn't looked his, you know, fully magical self for a few weeks now. I speculate that he's still less than 100% because of COVID, um, but he didn't need to be 100% on this day as everyone around him was clicking. Antoine Dupont. Ugh. He was mind-bogglingly good. There was that drive he started way deep in his own territory, evaded multiple defenders with his shifty footwork, and then boom, a vicious fend got him free to carve up just a ton of space, leading to a lightning strike try. There's just no way a guy that size is supposed to be that strong. It's incredible to watch. After that, you could just see the way things would go. By the 55th minute or so, the comms were tripping over themselves trying to pour dirt on Scotland's corpse. And it was a painful spectacle, spectacle the rest of the way, with the French scoring seemingly at will, while the Scots could do nothing right on attack themselves. One of the hardest matches to watch for quite some time for me. And uh, if it's the hope that kills you, well, I think we're all going to have long lives because that hope was extinguished at Murrayfield. Uh, the game against Wales last week, it, it felt close. It felt winnable. This one, this one definitely did not. It's also look like, looking like my uh, nobody will get a grand slam this year pr prediction is in serious jeopardy. 17 to 36 was the final score. Thanks to Duhan getting his first Six Nations try of this season. Uh, but it, it felt so much worse than this. France, this is definitely your tournament to lose. Next up was a fixture I had hoped to enjoy with England hosting Wales, but this one wasn't much more fun th uh, for me than the early game. The first half was just generally ugly, frankly. No tries for either side, and only Marcus Smith's incredible boot making an impact on the scoreboard. 12 to zip was the score at the break. Wales would go on to outscore England in the second half by 11 to 19, and at the very end, there was a prayer that they might find a way to steal this match, but the hill was just too big to climb at that point. The day ended with Welsh players in misery on the pitch. As I mentioned, Marcus Smith was amazing. Big shock there. It's really hard to see him giving up that jersey for England anytime soon. He's just incredible. So much so that they had George Ford on the bench and he never even got in for a minute. By the way, does that mean that Eddie Jones was actually impacted by all the criticism he got after his decision to take out Smith early in the, uh, the Scotland game in round one? Anyway, Alex Dombrandt got his first international try and Ben Youngs set a new record getting his 115th cap for England, giving him one more than the previously most, most capped player in Jason Leonard. So Josh Adams and Nick Tompkins would both get tries for Wales, but Adams had to come off late because of a pretty big knock. I, I wonder if he'll even be back for the next match. It took him a long time to get up. Uh, Maro Atoje was amazing, as always, and it was his final turnover that sealed Wales' fate 23-19 to in the end. On the Sunday, of course, it was Ireland's turn to trounce Italy, and they were definitely up for it. Italy got a red card early in the first half, I think at the 18-minute mark, I think. That certainly didn't help their case. And by the way, I, I honestly need help comprehending the rules around uncontested scrums. It's something that it's only come up one or two times before this. And in the match notes this time, it said uh, Italy were forced to go down to 13 men rather than 14 because of the uncontested scrums. And, and my reaction was, what? So still don't get that one. Somebody could reach out and explain it to me. Just pat me on the head a little bit and go, oh, isn't that cute? You don't know that. Um, I would appreciate that. In any case. Ireland, they really put their collective foot on Italy's neck and just never let up all day. The score was already 43-6 to with just 10 minutes to go. It felt like we were in for more than that. And sure enough, James Lowe decided that sounded good to him, and his team made it to the half century with a few minutes left, 
this after a, another card, a yellow card, to add insult to Italy's injuries for an internet uh, for an intentional knock-on. They looked out on their feet by that point, just completely exhausted. Italy was forced to give the ball back to the hosts after the clock had gone red, and Ireland were more than happy to put in another. With the conversion, this one mercifully came to an end, 57-6. to six. The comms say that this day will be character building for the Italian side, but I have to wonder about that. So moving on to Super Rugby Pacific. So on Friday, for me, that that night featured my Highlanders, and they found themselves staring into the gaping maw of the beast that is Crusaders. Crusaders got off to a rough start for them, though, knocking it on, giving away penalties. My guys were more than happy to mop up, kicking an early penalty before winger Sam Gilbert ran a gorgeous line to get his first ever Super Rugby try. Good stuff. Uh, Connor Garden Bashup was back from a long-term injury and looked very strong to me, just fearlessly fielding eyeballs, generally causing headaches for the opposition. Of course, this is the Crusaders we're talking about, and they manhandled the uh, momentum back from the Highlanders, eventually taking their first lead after 30 minutes, with Cebu Reese getting himself both tries for the 13-14 edge. The lead changed twice more before the break, and the teams went to the lockers with a score of 16-17. The first 10 or 12 minutes of the second half precisely mirrored the same period at the end of the first half, with first Highlanders, then Crusaders, getting penalty kicks to continue the seesaw scoreline. But then, and you know, it felt inevitable, Will Jordan, outpacing, outmaneuvering somewhere between 3 and 15 Highlanders, scoring his first try of this season, 26th overall, but not, pretty impressive. And suddenly Crusaders were up 8 with only about 10 minutes left. A big missed opportunity for my guys. And presto, another try for Crusaders. It was 19 to 34 with just a couple ticks to go. That is where it would end. Ugh, 0-2 to start the year for my guys. Tough spot they find themselves in very early on. So we also had the Waratahs hosting the Reds. This one was as close as it was scorching hot. Every player out there by the end looked as if he'd been hosed down with his own sweat. It was like Bikram rugby out there. So, okay, I admit the rain might have had something to do with it, but I honestly think it was like 70-30 in favor of perspiration versus precipitation. you got to love a match where the crowd is sitting there in the rain while wearing shorts and T-shirts. <laughs> Quote, it's been a pig of a week, unquote, upon the comms, and I honestly have no idea what that means. Anyway, the Reds took a lead with only about 10 minutes to play. We were set up for an amazing finish with non-jock jock making the conversion to get to 16-20. Uh, to 20. The comms say that Waratahs look, quote, a lot stronger and fitter than the last couple of years, unquote. I wonder what that's all about. Uh, honestly, that sounds sarcastic, but I'm, I'm honestly wondering. Uh, has anyone else noticed that most scrum caps look like those little Vera Bradley bags? In any event, the home team brought on Jamie Roberts at that point, who they mentioned has over 90 caps for Wales and the British and Irish Lions. Great veteran presence for him. I wonder if he'll make the difference in the end, is what I wrote. Waratahs got what they were looking for in a scrum penalty, going to the corner for what looked to be a last gasp with a minute and a half left. However, another botched lineout, and Reds got it back, hoping to close the books with a solid scrum of their own. Some confusion over the clock, with some some thinking non-jock jock had kicked it out before the final time had run out, but the referee eventually gave a long double blast in the end, a smattering of boos joining with the falling rain. 16-20 to 20 was the final exciting match. Really good one. Next up was the Brumbies versus Fiji and Drua. Brumbies, they just looked completely and utterly dominant throughout this entire match, easily dispatching the new club by a score of 42-3. to Not a fun day for Fijian fans, for sure. Seven tries to zero on the day, and my efforts to look through the wreckage of this match and find some bright spots for the visitors were entirely unsuccessful. 
Next up was Hurricanes versus Blues, and holy cow, what a match. So with the Blues game canceled last week, I hadn't really looked at their roster in a long time, and it is an absolute who's who of New Zealand rugby, just a litany of All Blacks. Personally, I was very excited to see Caleb Clark back out there. He is amazing. Uh, if you don't know, he was a breakout All Black who looked to be one of the most exciting young prospects but his background in, is in sevens, and he gave up the opportunity to continue playing 15s for his country in order to represent it in sevens at the Olympics. Unfortunately, he didn't end up making the Olympic squad and never got a sniff of time on the field. So it's been a while. I really hope he finds that spark again. It's, I'm glad to have him back. There was also a guy I had never seen before who was apparently a huge star in rugby league. He was playing number 12 for the Blues and looked really great on, on debut. So Hurricanes, they look to keep this one close despite the obvious power and speed of the Blues. They began the second half down uh, 10 points. It was 24 to 14. I'm surprised to hear myself say it, but I'm starting to think that Jordy Barrett is good. Rico Ioane is also looking very strong, but I fear his old tendencies, namely keeping the ball for himself when he has options to either side. Uh, you know, I, I thought he actually cost his, his team a try this time because of exactly that today. The comms seem to agree with me on that one, so I'm probably wrong. The unfortunately named Harry Plummer, he was having a good day off the boot. He added another pen to his side's total early in the second half. It was a 13-point margin heading into the final 20 minutes. And Julian Sabia, he's looking like a magic man out there. Just so much fun to watch. It was 32-21 to with about seven and a half to play. Hurricanes looked for real. Quote, they're coming home with a wet sail, the Hurricanes, unquote, declare the comms. And again, I have no idea what they're talking about. But I, I, I have to admit I love it anyway. Um, anyway, with a scant five minutes remaining, Hurricanes were still down 11. Very hard to see a way to pull this one out. Fair play. People treated the Blues' victory last year much as they've treated Benetton's win in the Rainbow Cup. And that kind of thing always rubs me the wrong way. So Salisi Riasi then got his hat trick with a dazzling move. And I just realized that somehow this is the first time I've used the word, word dazzling on this podcast. Weird, huh? But what a player and what a try. The comms seemed in shocked disbelief. Hurricanes did have some hope, but Ruben Love's doinking it off the left post leaves his team down by six with a mere minute and a half to go. And then the next thing I wrote was just a huge OMG, and that was the last thing on the page. My main man, Artie Savia, who's been rarely mentioned at all today, he breaks away out wide and scores an absolutely stunning try, shedding defenders like pebbles off of his boots, even to the extent he could get in right under the posts, allowing for an easier conversion. Hurricanes pilfer themselves a shocker of a win. The Blues... Uh, uh, to a man looking like they just woke up from a bad dream. But today, it was real. Incredible comeback victory for Hurricanes. And this competition just got very interesting indeed. The last one was Western Force versus the Rebels. And uh, to be honest, I haven't watched it because I'm kind of saving it because there was too much other stuff to watch. So uh, we'll get to w next week when we'll finally get to see Moana Pacifica too. So that'll be in the previews. Okay, moving on to MLR. On Saturday, we had DC Old Glory hosting the Toronto Arrows. Toronto getting their first and much-needed win this past weekend, while DC remains in the dark, and this week was no different. With DC getting pummeled to the tune of 5-29, to things are not okay right now with Old Glory. Seattle, they welcomed Austin, and Austin continued their winning ways, though they've calmed down a little bit in terms of actual points scored. They went on to beat the Seawolves 18-25 to in that one. Really incredible start for the Austin team. So Dallas, they were at home for Rugby New Jersey. And as I finally brought myself to say here last week, the team from Jersey looks pretty dangerous. They destroyed the expansion Jackals. It was 5-41 away in Texas. It continues to be a very tough start for Dallas. 
The Thundercats faced San Diego, and my new friend Will Owen will be happy that while Wales lost in Six Nations, his San Diego Legion continued to look strong. This week on the road in Houston, where they won 20-31. to uh, And then, on Sunday, my Free Jacks would try to get their first ever victory at the Coliseum against the reigning champs from L.A., and this was surely our biggest challenge before we get to open up Fort Quincy in a couple weeks. I knew this one was going to be an uphill battle. So Bowden Walker had a disallowed try early on, and while I was bummed, it was definitely the right call, I have to admit, though sadly. However, late, late in the contest, and as you know, I, I try not to complain or blame referees here, but man, oh man, J.P. Doyle, a ref who I actually love, and I, I have like a short list of refs I can recognize, name, and say, ooh, I'm a big fan. He's one of them. He's great. But I, I don't know. I feel like he's maybe he's been mesmerized by the glitz and glam of L.A. or something. I, it, it seems to me like he handed this game to them. Um, I have to think that maybe it's a bit because he's like, ooh, L.A., this is the big time. They won last year, so they can't do anything wrong. I'm sure that's ridiculous of me, but I'm obviously feeling pretty salty about this one. So we had a driving mall that they were nowhere near stopping. We thundered it down for what, to me, had to be a try. JP wasn't really nearby and concluded it was held up, despite not asking for any reviews of the footage. You know, And nowadays, of course, held up means goal line dropout. LA hammered it back to us deep. Again, though, we were up to it and driving our way back in scoring distance when we had a, a bit of a mess with handling but we recovered, and never for a second had that ball gone forward. But no, to JP, there was a knock-on again, not reviewed in any way. We still managed to force them to give us the ball back again, followed by another ghost knock-on. I mean, JP, did you have money on this one or something? I don't get it. Three consecutive calls that didn't really reflect the reality I saw, and suddenly all of our chances were just gone. Uh, you know, when there are generally some poor calls or some sketchy decisions, I don't talk about it here, and I just try to take the angle that these things tend to even out in the end. But in this case, maybe I'm just a homer. It felt like the officials had pre-decided who was going to get the benefit of the doubt and who would not. And that series of three poor and ill-advised calls in a row, I mean, that specifically field, sealed our fate on the day. I've watched my Free Jacks lose before, and I haven't complained about it. This one just felt like a robbery somehow. I'm obviously very ticked about it still. Actual final score, 19-22 in favor of the Free Jacks. Bogus listed score, 19-15 for the J.P. Doyle Teenies. Um, Ugh, I've had the taste of vomit in my mouth ever since Saturday morning. I just can't get a rugby break this weekend. It's rough. Moving on to what was a light schedule for the URC. On Friday the 25th, Zebra took on the Bulls, and uh, Leinster played host for the Lions. And today would not be the day for Zebra to at last gather a W, with the Bulls absolutely laying the smackdown, 7-45. to while, meanwhile, Leinster quietly dispatched the Lions to the tune of a modest 21-13. Nice to see them go easy on somebody for a change. On Saturday, Connacht welcomed in the Storners. Uh, Storners. Yes, the Storners. It's a new word I invented. Uh, so the Stormers, and they barely came away victorious 19-17, though I expect what we'll be hearing a lot of this week is going to be about the refereeing. Scotland's Ben Blair excited the ire of many South African fans in particular. You know what? It seemed like a day of sketchy decisions, huh? Uh, but but I can't make this podcast about that, so, you know, <laughs> unless it's to complain about JP, apparently. But on top of that, you know, this is the first time this weekend that the, the team I was rooting for won, so for this one, I would say everything was squeaky clean and completely above board. Next, Benetton were at home for the Sharks. The Sharks romped over the depleted Italian side. I think something like 10 players slated to play for Italy on Sunday are normally playing for Benetton. This one never looked close at all. 7-29 to 29 was the margin for the visiting side. 
Those were the only fixtures I saw in the URC this weekend. I think they're still trying to adjust from all the wonkiness early in the year. Moving on to the Premiership. So the Prem, for some reason, had three Friday matches scheduled, with uh, Bristol versus Wasps first. Based on the squad selection, it appeared at first glance that Wasps were far more intent on getting a result here than Bristol. Though this year, I mean, who knows? Who knows what's up with the Bears in general? So Harry Thacker, again, showed his shocking strength and toughness. And, you know, about Harry Thacker, I have to say, his drumming on Rush's debut album would be a lot more highly rated if the second album hadn't featured the world's introduction to Neil Peart. I mean, that's totally unfair. Come on. Oop, there it is. Your esoteric prog rock reference of the week. That's how you know you are on the scrum of the earth. Anywho, things wore on as they did with Bristol de- uh, defying my dim-witted pre-match assessment, taking a 28-12 lead with just the final quarter to play. Bristol were again playing the front rower I spotted last week, who looks so old he might have been around for my first Danny Kara's old joke. His last name is spelled Bears, by the way, but I feel 100% sure it's pronounced Beers. Believe me, I'm not going to double-check that one. I'm quite happy in this particular version of reality. Anyway, things continued to disintegrate for Wasps. The lead went all the way up to 31-19 to in the closing moments, and that was where the score would settle. Pretty fun stuff for a Friday heading into a pivotal Six Nations weekend, is what I wrote. Yeah, little did I know. Anyway. Sales versus London Irish was, as they say, one for the purists, with the first score not coming until late in the first half. A nice try for London Irish, with Sale answering back quickly thereafter uh, after a yellow card to the visitors. Greatest American hero A.J. McGinty added a penalty with the clock gone red, making it 8-7 to seven at the break. Whew. So this one did get very exciting as it wore on. The lead ping-ponging back and forth, and Stokes for London Irish stoked one down. Yes, I'm aware I've used that line twice now, and that number should probably have remained zero. But anyway... It was 15-all uh, after 51 minutes. Really tight. So every time Lude blink, blink, to Yager carries the ball, I'm just re-amazed how deft he is. Just skills dripping out of every pore. What a player. I'm given to understand um, the how many Springboks can we get experiment is likely coming to an end after this season, but it's fun to watch while they're clicking. So London Irish, they got a second yellow card, and the comms were flipping out about how costly it might be. We'll see, guys. Oh, side note, by the way, what are the odds that a team like Sale, they have a guy named Faf de Klerk, and then they have another guy named Raffy Quirk, and they play the same position? Come on. Always surprised the comms don't mention that one. Uh, anyway, Sharks did take advantage of the man advantage, scoring and converting a try for what I think must be their biggest lead of the day, a whopping seven. But a simple case of fumble fingers gave the visitors a lightning strike in the corner, with Jackson finding his kicking stride again to tie things up, headed into the final quarter of action. So this match held more and more with Sale winger Aaron Reed getting the answering try. It really felt like one of those whoever has the ball last is going to win kind of matches. AJ missed the extras, shockingly. Maybe not his best night, to be fair. It was 22 to, uh, 27 to 22 with only about a minute and a half left on the yellow card. Patty would respond with a missed penalty of his own, and I have no idea who, who is going to take this match right now. Another quick side note. I keep asking about these terms, uh, but most of them this week are, you know, terms from the comms from New Zealand. But this one I hear a lot in Europe, too. Can anyone please explain to me what a rangy physique means? Like range, like wingspan or reach or more like home on the range? Anyway, a huge penalty against London Irish with only seven minutes on the clock. Sale looked like they might wrest this one away from an up and down visiting side in the Exiles. Sure enough. London Irish get the score back and looked to retake a lead with only four minutes to go. What a match. The next thing I wrote was, oof, 
Patty. He let his prey escape for a change, going to 50% on the day and leaving things tied at my lucky number 27. Quote, the parallels with round two are pretty much perfect right now, unquote, say the comms referring to this exact opportunity, a long-range kick for an inconsistent Patty Jackson shanking the extras, and Sale decide they are happy with the draw. Gotta say, as an American, I still can't get used to the draws. I've come to understand their value on paper and how it is with, you know, when you have a system of league points rather than simple win-loss ratios, I get it but it's just still hard to choke it down in real time. Apparently, London Irish have never won at the A.J. Bell Stadium, a.k.a. Printerland. So, 0-8 on that front for now. So then, Worcester versus Harlequins. That was the Friday night capper, but it turned more into a Friday night crapper. You know, I, I have to immediately apologize for that joke. That was unworthy. Probably going to do it again at some point. Um, Worcester, they again lost. Though, to be fair, they made a better showing of it than I had thought they would. Harlequins were without several key players, but Worcester were, they were without, uh, uh, well, Duhan, I guess. That's probably about it. 14 to 22 was the score with about 10 minutes remaining. And ironically, 14 22 is the year Danny Kerr's first great great grandchild was born. Uh, with about five minutes to go, Ugo mentions the fact that Worcester have, uh, had to make over 100 tackles just in the second half. Got to be incredibly exhausting, to put it mildly. Harlequins, they would score another, and it was 14-29 to 29 with just three minutes left. I'm really annoyed at myself for spending this much time watching and writing about it. Enough already. But then a guy named Seb Atkinson. Really honestly never seen the name Seb before. I assume it's short for Sebastian, maybe? Anyone know? Anyway, he got his first ever premiership try to make the scoreline look a little bit prettier, but with under a minute left, it was a dead duck. It was 21-29. to 29. That was the final score. I don't know if the blowout losses or the close losses are worse for Worcester right now. It's just, I'm just not sure. I feel like they need a juice cleanse or something. So on Saturday, we had the two games. We had Leicester versus Gloucester and we had Newcastle versus Bath. For some reason, as I was writing this, the Leicester versus Gloucester game is just nowhere to be found. I did a quickie search to see if it was canceled, but it doesn't appear so. Not sure what gives with that. Newcastle versus Bath was not one I expected to be a great contest, but as you've probably noticed, I'm frequently wrong. 50 minutes in, it was tied at 18, and while it was certainly anybody's game, my experience with Bath this year has led me to believe that there was approximately 0.0% chance of them winning. Nathan Hughes, clearly hearing my thoughts, got himself yellow-carded to make things more difficult. And who is this guy on comms right now during this match? I assume he must be a former player, uh, like he's got to be an expert of some kind, but he sounds like a guy trying to fight his way out of a heroin haze or something like Can somebody get this guy some smelling salts? Anyway. Bath are averaging 14 penalties per match this year, I just learned, and I have to agree with the comms that that is not good. So with the man advantage, they scored another try. They looked well set to prove me right for a change. But then Bath, seemingly angered by that assertion, uh, that, that assertion rather, assertion. Oh, God, I'm making up more words every day. They bit back, but they couldn't convert. It was a two-point affair with 12 minutes to go. Anyway, so with three minutes left, Joe Thuckinasinga, he scored in the corner. After the conversion, they had a five-point lead with under a minute to go, Falcons ball. Quote, Ben Spencer has gone off, unquote, they say, and I couldn't help think they meant it in the, the English way, like, like a meat or a soup that's gone off. Uh, anyway, wow, what a lovely ending. The man they called the juggernaut just now, who I will mention again later, he got a turnover with the clock gone red, securing that rarest of trophies for Bath, an away win. Man, oh man, I was wrong again, and once again, I am pretty happy about it. So afterwards, they don't usually include post-match analysis, uh, at least when I'm watching. Um, they pointed out how incredibly close all the stats were for this match, though. 52 to 48 in terms of possession percentage, 11 to 10 penalties, 103 to 96 tackles made, 211 to 275 meters made. 
by the way, every time you hear the phrase meters made, do you immediately hear the Beatles? Because I know I do. Anyway, five to three on turnovers. And wow, some of the games where you don't expect it, you get a lot. And this was this one was awesome. Finally, on Sunday, it was Northampton versus Exeter. Have the Chiefs gotten themselves some sort of premium on Sunday fixtures? I'm curious. So, and, and by the way, if you'd like to hear more about the Chiefs and uh, their recent rebranding, on Thursday morning, early my time, there will be a new bonus episode dropping where I get to have a chat with Elena from Exeter Chiefs for Change, all about that process, how it's gone, and all the great things they have to look forward to. So, meanwhile, the Chiefs did what they do so well so often, coming from behind to steal a victory in the final minutes with Joe Simmons' penalty right in front of the posts, the only difference on the day. Northampton must be reeling. It just it really looked like they were in control very late on. All told, Exeter squeaked out an exciting 31-34 away win. What a match this was. So then, when I went back the next day and checked again, sure enough, there was the Leicester versus Gloucester match. So I can bring you that result after all. Really glad about that. It was definitely one I had been looking forward to. So sure enough, it was an incredibly tight game uh, with Adam Hastings, who I'm still unclear why he's not at least in training for Scotland. He slotted uh, three right at the intermission. It was 14-16 to 16 for Gloucester. This one turned into a cracker. Leicester predictably retook the lead. Another penalty made it 27 to 16 with 15 minutes left. Nothing was on for Gloucester at that point. A yellow card made things even harder for the uh, the baby blue and whites, what I'm calling them now. Uh, Guy Porter slammed down an incredible try in the corner. Suddenly the score was doubled. It was 32 to 16 with about seven minutes left. So right after that, palindromic scoreboard alert. That's right. It's been a while since I've had to announce this. Um, it was oh so briefly a palindromic scoreline. It was 32 to 23, but Lester, they got a kick and took their sweet time, and the lead went back to 12. Adam Hastings, again, he looks to be a frustrated man these days, no doubt. 35 to 23, Lester remain the absolute monsters on top of the table right now. So much depth. Okay, my friends, that brings us to our coveted Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, we're giving it to Nathan Hughes. That's right. Several years ago, I spotted Mr. Hughes absolutely tearing it up out there. But then he went, sort of a, he went through a bit of a rough patch. His play level of play definitely fall, uh, fell off a bit. Then that was exacerbated by, of course, the pandemic. He ended up falling completely out of favor with his uh, Northampton Saints. They ended up shipping him off to a much lower tier, tier team. It really felt like a, you will learn your lesson, Daniel son kind of thing. But in the end, I mean, it led him to going to Bath, which in a way seems like further punishment. But sir, you have grabbed this opportunity by the neck and are showing everyone you can still be the player we all loved watching tearing it up every single week. Mr. Nathan Hughes, the man they called the Juggernaut and the Colossus in the same broadcast. A heartfelt congratulations to you, my friend. You are this week's diamond in the ruck. Great job. So that brings us, of course, to our previews. Six Nations is taking another little nap this coming weekend. They're going to come back the week after that. That weekend will, of course, feature England at home for Ireland. That should be incredible. Uh, I feel like both those sides are feeling right now like, how come nobody believes in us right now? I feel like both of them are going to come out with expertly constructed game plans, looking to just absolutely smash the opposition. I can't wait for that. So the URC, in clearly lesser news to the uh, Six Nations, I guess, Edinburgh play Connacht and Ulster versus Cardiff on the Friday. 
Benetton will take on Leicester, uh, Leinster, rather. Munster will take on the Dragons, and Scarlets will play Glasgow. That'll round out the Saturday, with Sunday having the one remaining fixture, a match I simply can't in good conscience recommend. It'll be Ospreys hosting Zebre. Meanwhile, over in the Premiership on Friday, we'll have Harlequins at home for Newcastle Falcons. Saturday, we'll have Bath hosting Bristol. God, I hope it doesn't rain. <laughs> Which is a pretty silly thing to say about England. Um, Saturday also has Gloucester at home for the Saints. They'll also feature uh, London Irish. They'll be hosting the Warriors. Ugh. And uh, I think the last one on Saturday, yes, the last one on the Saturday is Saracens. They'll be at home for Leicester Tigers. That should be really good. That'll be the match of the weekend, no doubt. Uh, on Sunday, March 6th, Exeter Chiefs will be home for Sale Sharks. And again, that could be a really, really good one. I'm excited. So over in Super Rugby Pacific, Friday, we'll see Moana Pacifica making their long-awaited debut. They'll be facing the Crusaders, the poor bastards. Also, Fijian Drill will face the Rebels from Melbourne. Still technically on Friday. Mind, these matches are at 1.05, 3.45, and 6 a.m. respectively. My time we will also get Western Force versus the Reds. And then that night, a real cracker, Blues versus Chiefs. Saturday will feature Hurricanes versus Highlanders, with my guys in sore need of their first win. And finally, the Brumbies versus the Waratahs. Should be a very telling round in terms of how things are, are going to go. Back at home, in the MLR, on Friday, we'll see Seattle taking on the 0-3 NOLA Gold. Definitely picking Seattle for that one. While on Saturday, the new Dallas team would be looking for their first win in Utah. Rugby ATL will look to uh, right the ship against the Thundercats. The Gill teams will meet in their first, what, what are we going to call it, a, a Gill Derby, I guess? Uh, the powerhouse seems Austin team will be at home for LA. That's the MLR game of the week, except for ours, obviously. Sunday, oh my word, my friends, what a huge match. My Free Jacks will be going to Hoboken to take on the team we've been mercilessly going after on the socials. I have to say, this is a huge opportunity for the New Jersey team to absolutely shut us up. Don't see that happening, mind you, but I do admit they're very good. And I'd be lying if I didn't say that I was incredibly nervous about this one. That is for sure. <laughs> Well, my friends, that does it for another week. Thank you so much for listening and for reaching out. It's always great to hear from you. What a week it was. I'll, I'll tell you, i got to find a way to watch a bit less of this stuff. Um, in the future, I think I actually said this last week, so I feel kind of silly, but there will definitely be some sort of scores-only results in the coming weeks. I've got I've to chill. Anyway, as always, if you'd like to get in touch, use Twitter. I'm at of Scrum. You can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on Instagram. You can always just email me by the scroll of the earth at gmail.com. And, you know, folks, if you can bring yourself to drop me a nice review, it's not just that that would please me. So, to date, uh, until like last week, I'd had only the three reviews, all very positive, and I was very grateful for that. Then finally a fourth one came in, and I went, oh, great. And it's a one star. It completely shattered my, my little average. And there were no comments along with it, so I don't even know why the person disliked it so much. There's nothing I can, like, fix about it or address in any way. So, feeling a little frustrated, I could use the getting my batting average back up. That would be pretty nice. So, if you have time to do that, it'll only take a couple minutes, and I would really appreciate it. Anyway, if you'd like, uh, if you do like what we're doing here, there's a couple of ways you can show your support listed in the show notes for this episode. But frankly, uh, I might delete that just in favor of the, the Tonga links because if you guys have a couple extra bucks, they should be going to those really relief efforts, uh, efforts, not my little efforts here at the Scrum of the Earth. Anyway, it's been a long pod, a lot of rugby to watch this weekend. It's been great. Thank you again so much for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers 
Talk to you soon and be well.